<sighs> education. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a feeling and a theory with this, which is that, um, that what education fails to do. For a while, I worked for this FTSE 100 company, and um, and I, I, the best way I've come to describe it as an organisation these days is like it's a successful company full of unsuccessful people. And then like four or five years go by and they go, you know, and they've got to get their promotion, they've got to get their pay rise, they've got to get their slightly smarter suit, they've got to get the slightly bigger house, they've got to get the slightly fancier new, new car. Like, it's like, and it's like the, the predictable scaffolding of life, you know, particularly as a successful person in a successful business. But I fucking hate those guys that are like, I'll do anything for my kids. And it's like, well, would you go part-time and take a 30k pay cut? I didn't mean anything. Like, my life is chaos. It will probably become more chaotic rather than less as time goes by. But I always know I'm going to be a patient, present parent. Like, me and my business partner, we have this kind of phrase, which is like, what's the path of least regret? You look at all of these sort of successes, and it's like, okay, so what are the consistent behaviours that allow those successes to happen? And if you can start to unpick that and start to articulate it, all of a sudden, very honest and authentic values for people and teams can appear. But for me, it all comes down to behaviour. Like behaviour and questions, like are the, are the are the driving force of the things that get us wherever wherever we're going. And she always used to say, Jacob, don't you know that less is more? And then and he said, I'll, and I'll and I'll, I'll never forget what I said to her. I turned around to her and said, Yes, but in order to experience, in order to know what less is, you need to experience more first. And this is always a very unpopular opinion or not or a very unpopular thing for people to hear i suppose but the the, the people that i'm least interested in working with are the people that i'm on a mission to help the world to see success differently sharing the stories of our guests i hope to inspire those that listen this is the different hats podcast produced by h2 productions i hope you can join us on this journey i just wanted to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors nostos an authentic experience of greece right here in the heart of hove in a world brimming with dining options, finding that one place that captivates your palate and heart isn't always easy. It's about more than food. It's the stories, the ambience, the slice of another world. This is the essence of Nostos, an award-winning Greek restaurant. With traditional recipes passed down through generations, each dish promises a story and a piece of heritage. And Nostos is more than just a restaurant, it's a community contributor. Each dining experience supports initiatives close to their heart, from local charities to cultural events enriching Brighton and Hove's social fabric. They also provide catering services, bringing Greek cuisine to your personal events. For a taste of Greece without leaving town, visit nostos-hove.co.uk. And when you do go, say Sam recommended the Feta Nests. Oh my God, they are amazing. Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is very much a man after my own heart who lives life wearing a variety of different hats. <laughs> he is a businessman, a creative entrepreneur, an author, and a curator of TEDx Brighton, to name a few of his hats. He helps people experience more creative freedom in their work, and someone I have followed for some time and recently had the pleasure of meeting. I'm delighted to welcome 
Toby Moore to the podcast. Whoa. How are you, sir? How are you? Yeah, I'm fab. A few car troubles on the way in. <laughs> yeah. But it all adds to the story, doesn't it? Mate, of course, of course, of course. Listen, how brilliant it's been to have met you recently. And, it's been and, great. And have a chat and like I said we, we we were sitting in having a coffee and I was like let's mate let's get I couldn't wait to get you on and we're um, I'm looking forward to this it's going to be fun let's go let's do it <laughs> mate as always we're going to kick off um, I believe everyone's story starts somewhere it's got to have a beginning um, with a great story so look tell me we do our life in 60 seconds right so this is just a snapshot tell me something about your childhood that's helped shape who sits in front of me today yeah I know this question's coming right um, but I always, I really struggle with stuff like this, mostly because I have a terrible memory, like a, really, a particularly poor chronological memory. But when I was scratching around, like I'm, I, I think my childhood is much more a series of memories that then create like a theme. Do you know what I mean? So like, you know, play and creativity and invention is a big part of my childhood. But I've struggled to pin it to one memory. But um, one of the things that my mum always likes to remind me of is that when I was a kid, I had this invention book and I would carry it around with me wherever I go. And I, that would be where I'd like come up with ideas for like ways of powering things or like walking dogs or like you know making food or something like that and I'd create these inventions and I'd like in great detail like annotate how these inventions would work even if it was completely you know misfound wow. in physics or whatever and then and I was just thinking about some other stuff that kind of stands out and being much younger than that and doing it was around the time that Wallace and Gromit came out and me and a friend creating getting the video the old VHS like video cameras out and then making plasticine models and making this plasticine guy play with a yo-yo and and stuff like that and then yeah and then and then the third memory that I sort of like dug around and found whilst I was sort of umming and ahhing about how to respond to this <laughs> this this famous question now was um was actually a writing and at school and and we'll talk about it more I guess mm. as we go on because I know that you want to talk about like creativity and education and so on but um yeah and just being being sort of like shown and celebrated at a young age at school for writing as well um uh but then yeah and i think that i think that got lost along the way do you know what i mean and i think like for me digging back into childhood and, and re-establishing myself as a creative is only something that's happened quite recently i think there's a big chunk of my life where that went missing um but the story as a child starts from just play i think play and invention it's crazy isn't it, as well because you're right we're, we we where does where, where do we lose that as we as we go? The society gets hold of us a little bit, doesn't it? And feel like we've got to do X, Y, and Z. And I know we spoke about it offline previously. We talked about uh, when, do, when do we stop dreaming as kids? Yeah. Oh, as kids, we dream big, don't we? We're yeah, like, I'm going to do this. We're going to do that. And nothing's impossible. Of course, I'm going to get to the moon and build build a spaceship. Yeah. Well, I was I was listening to the, your podcast with with, with Bruno mm. and um, and. I was just like, and that was a real like, almost had like a sort of like a triggering moment, like a, just in a positive way. Because mm. I was like, yeah, like he's dreamed of this thing this whole time, like he's had that, and I had to sort of like challenge myself a bit and be like, what's that for me? And I think there is that element of school, work, also just kind of like relationships as well, like start to train you out of that stuff. Um, as the Ken Robinson's quote is like, school trains creativity out of children, not in and. Um, and I think I think that is the fundamental thing. Like life prepares us for this, <clears throat> life prepares us for this like set of activities that we're about to do, but only like ten percent of us need to actually really sort of like <laughs> carry yeah. out those activities. 
Yeah, it is so. It is so strange, isn't it? You do. You go because I still. I, I still remember sitting there when England went out of the World Cup in 1990. I still remember sitting there crying my eyes out, at 11 years old, saying to my dad, "I'm going to win the World Cup." I'm gonna, and that was my dream up until I was 16 and didn't make it, and like millions of other young lads. But you, that was such a vivid, clear dream. I was mm. gonna, without that, I was gonna lift that World Cup. I wanted to be a spy. You wanted, <laughs> <did> you <laughs> I was hell bent on being a spy. <laughs> J- J- James Bond. What you yeah, doing? I think that's where the inventions came from. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean it's all like this sort of like Q branch type? That's what I thought. Like, I was gonna be this. I was gonna be this spy that. That bridge the gap between espionage and Q branch. <laughs> not really spies. Is this what's going to come out on the podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've just outed myself. Um, uh, yeah, my dad was like well into like James Bond, and and um, when I was a kid, actually, we had this in my bedroom at my dad's house. We had this like I think we got it from like a Lego exhibition, and it was this like what to me at the time felt enormous. It was probably just like an A2 piece of card, but to me it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen, you know. And it was a this this uh, sort of this picture of Lego Island, and you know all of the sort of like pirates and aeroplanes and stuff sort of like flying out the edges. And every you know at night, my dad would tell me these like bedtime stories, and he would he would um, use Lego Island as like the setting for these stories. And then what I learned later on in life is he was just stealing James Bond plots and uh, <laughs> and retelling them through the lens of Lego characters. Um, but I think that's yeah where our shared affinity for yeah for espionage <laughs> came from. I and I don't think it shows up at all in my uh, in my in my adult life. I don't know, but maybe it does, and I haven't seen it yet. Maybe that's my that's my next ten years of discovery. I don't know. That's your, that is your final calling. Yeah, yeah. Before we see you go off the scene a little bit, and I so be off spy. Well, um, I want to. You mentioned your dad there a bit, and obviously, I've uh, recently read your book Make It, which was was fantastic. Thank you. Um, and you talk about your dad's influence as well. Mm. I mean, we mentioned in the intro there about the different hats and stuff like that. Just talk to me a little bit about about that. I guess more about that childhood growing up and seeing him and and different roles that he played mm. the impact I guess that had on, on you yeah my dad passed away 20, 2016 2015 2016 and um, um, but he yeah he was he was like us you know he had loads of hats um, and it's, a, it's it's kind of ridiculous really like I th- when when I was born my parents lived on a farm they were farmers in Wales and yeah. then like prior to that he was like an antiques dealer and a ski, like he was a ski guide, and uh, um, and then I think before that he was a he used to run like a scuba diving society or something like that, and he used to like go and do shipwreck dives and and things, and and then and then um, after a while, after living on this farm in Wales, my dad wanted to go and become a lawyer, so that we left Wales and came back to Brighton. He went to university in Brighton. My dad grew up in Brighton. He's a Brighton boy. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, and then went and 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 and. Went to university and then stayed at university until until he died. <laughs> um, but got his bar exams and then became a barrister. And I think he spent like six, seven years preparing to be a barrister and then spent about six or seven weeks being a barrister. And then was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, and then went into teaching. Um, and then and then a little later on into that, he got into archaeology. And like for the last like 
10, 15 years of my dad's life, he would dress like Indiana Jones every day. So he'd have, like, the, the leather jacket, he had the hat, he had a Jeep, and on the back of the Jeep had, like, the sort of, like, the depiction of the, 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 the hat and the whip. And, and he ran this archaeological society, and he'd take people out on digs. And, uh, and wow. then he, he ended up specialising in Greek and Minoan archaeology. And uh, I think one of the things he did in the last couple of years before he passed away was that he went and explored the, the labyrinths on Crete, like where the minotaurs were and stuff. Um, so, yeah, just like, just, I, I don't know. He, um, it's, it's interesting because I look back on some of like the nurturing advice that he would give me and he had a very sort of low risk approach to sort of like helping me manage and understand my life and navigate that. But then I look at him and he would just kind of like, he had this mentality of like, well, that looks fun. Let's go and do that, you know. And then he would professionalise in it and turn it into a thing for a while and then just turn to the next thing. And that was his life. And I'm like, you know, and you look at other people's lives where, like, they just, you know, I don't know, accountants or librarians or whatever for their whole lives. And you think, that can't be, you know, if you, if you just feel attracted and magnetised to a, to a skill or, you know, uh, an activity or whatever, like, just put your head to it. I love that. Because it's... Something about living a life like that, where you get to your deathbed and you look back and you go, "I'll give you a go." Yeah. Whether it, that looks like I'll give you a go, rather than that, that's always been, I guess, my philosophy. And I, I've, you know, tripped over and fouled and done things that not worked out many, many times. But you look at, you go. I've gone, I'll give that a go. Mm. It worked out, but I'll give it a go. And it was good fun. I learned from that, or I've done that. Do you know what I mean? Just that. Uh, I guess... I know we sort of mentioned on, on messages and stuff like that, but you, was it him then that gave you the permission? You, you sort I of think mentioned that's the to, magic word, is to, permission. To, yeah. Because what was his... T- I guess what was it that like, you, you said he, he would maybe suggest you not to go down that path? Was he more like... Was there an influence that you saw? Why don't you get into this or this or that? Or yeah, I we worked together for a long time. Not together as in like you know running a business together, like actually, which is what me and my mum do now. (laughs) (laughs) But me and my dad, um, he was a teacher, and he got me a job in the school. Um, I remember quite a few times, you know, around that time I. But sort of about four, four or five years into getting that job, and I'd worked myself up into this sort of management position in the IT team for overseeing these schools and stuff. And and I was and I was getting to go and travel around a bit, and you know, and I was meeting lots of people, and I was being offered quite interesting opportunities. Whenever I'd sort of cast them under my dad's eyes, and be like, "Oh, someone wants me to go and work here. What do you think?" Or someone wants me to go and work there. He'd be like, oh, "This is a it's a safe, jo- it's a good job here, Tobes. You know, like you know, this is a safe safe bet. And you move to a smaller company, like you know, you know." You never know what's going to happen, and the irony is, is that schools now closed down and they went into liquidation, all sorts oh, wow. of things. But, but um, uh, yeah, I, I interesting. I can't remember. If I might mention this to you the other day, but um, my mum gave me some really interesting advice recently, where I was kind of like, I was sort of like, just struggling to make my way through a couple of just a couple of deals had fallen through at work, and I'm trying to work out, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And in a sort of a moment, whenever I sort of get really pissed off with like with with my work, I go and look at jobs boards and be like, right, 
sacking it all in and I'm applying for jobs, you know, <laughs> which is obviously never going to work, you know. Yeah. But, but, um, but I told my mum and I was like, oh, mum, what do you think of this job, you know, da, da, da. And, and she was like, Tobes, you know, if you're struggling for cash at the moment, is applying for jobs really the right thing to do? <laughs> like, which is like the opposite of advice that your mum's supposed to give you, right? It's just kind of like, you know, oh gosh, you know, if you're, you know, you've got to go and, you know, got to go out to work and earn your crust. It's like, no, come on, Tobes, you make things. Like, get out there and make something, you know. I'm like, okay, yes, mum. Uh, so funny. That's such a bullet because you're right, like, there's that encouragement to just back to following dreams or mm. following your own path and create, like, because there is, there's such. There's a narrative within society that we do X, Y, and Z, and mm. it's still like even I'm obviously a little bit older, you know, I guess, but there's a, still there's that generation of just looking back and you know, school, education, good job, house, mm. settle down, family, and that that, yeah. that type of structure is still there. Well, I used to work for this for a while. I worked for this FTSE 100 company, and um, and I. I, the best way I've come to describe it as an organisation these days is like it's a successful company full of unsuccessful people. And I just used to watch people get in and out the elevator every day and you can just see, like, it's the... <laughs> you know, there's this kind of, like, phases of being a person inside these organisations, you know, and you've, like, you can just... You can just... You watch someone walk into the lift, like... It's a man, they're wearing a Marks and Spencer suit, they probably drive like an Audi A4, A5, you know, they've probably spent an hour and a half on the train getting here, and they probably live in a three-bedroom house in some fucking, like, <laughs> new build development in, I don't know, Herefordshire or something, you know. <laughs> and, like, they're like robots coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out, and then and then there's another phase, and, like, all, all of a sudden they've got, you know, a suit from somewhere that's a little bit more fancy, and they've got a slightly bigger car, and they've got a slightly bigger house, so they've put an extension on, or da 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 or now they've got a double driveway, and, and then... And then, like, four or five years go by and they go, you know, and they've got to get their promotion, they've got to get their pay rise, they've got to get their slightly smarter suit, they've got to get the slightly bigger house, they've got to get the slightly fancier new, new car. Like, it's like... And it's like the the predictable scaffolding of life, you know, particularly as a successful person in a successful business. And... And I think there's an element of becoming a parent as well that really rocks this for me. And and uh, forgive me if if uh, anyone listening feels like this is you, but I fucking hate those guys that are like, I'll do anything for my kids. And it's like, well, would you go part-time and take a 30K pay cut? I didn't mean anything, you know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I'd like, I'd fucking kill a man, you know. And it's just like, well, yeah. I'd maybe try going part time before you kill the man, you know. Like, <laughs> and I, I just hate this narrative of like, you know, that 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 um, that you know, being a part of a family and being a parent means not showing up, and it means showing up over here and not over here. Um, and I, I really, you know, and that's one of the things that, like, my life is chaos. It will probably become more chaotic rather than less as time goes by. But I always know I'm going to be a patient present parent you know like um and i and i and i don't think you can regret that like me and my business partner we have this kind of phrase which is like what's the path of least regret and like whenever we're trying to make decisions we'll we'll that's one of the first questions we ask ourselves um and it's a very helpful question and i think particularly when it comes to that family friendships work money all of those sorts of things um the path of least resistance is often 
the path of most regret possibly um, does that make sense it really does and oh, it's such a valuable message for me listening to that it's such a valuable message as a, as a father myself as well when you, you look I look at the kids and similar my life very chaotic here there and everywhere you're doing people often be out and it's like stop Kelly and they go oh Sam he's everywhere and he has it blah 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 and okay and you I'd like to think I'm still a good father and I'll do my best to be a good husband as well and all of those things but I am still me mm. and I still want to still want to show the kids mm. that I've I'm me and I'm still following my dreams because I will tell them every single night before they go to bed one of my favourite films is The Greatest Showman and I'll say to them dream me, <laughs> dream me a million dreams tonight I'll say that to them most nice. nights before we go to bed dream me a million dreams and I talk to them about dreams all the time but how can then it's fine to say that and then me go I'm just getting on the train to go into London to do a job that I absolutely hate yeah. and then I'm going to because I talk about this and I do the podcast what are you doing today daddy I've got a podcast today or I'm doing mm. something today and of course there's stresses that come with stuff and they see that side of me from time to time but ultimately I'm doing I try and do things that I love and I guess so, taking something I've had to sort of like um, uh, just sort of you know what it's like with, with grandparents and coming and looking after kids and like you know and most people are just kind of like don't give them you know sort of like sweets or whatever like and me and my mum like it's about one of the things is work and she'll be like you know, when mum's coming to look after Emmy for the day or something, and she'll be like, Daddy needs to go to work because he needs to earn the, the money, you know. And I'm like, Mum, don't tell Emmy that. She's three. Like, she's four. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, and so the narrative that I've tried to create with, with my daughter is like, well, why do we go to work? It's like, well, work is how we choose to help people. And, and, and particularly, like, her mum runs a charity, like, I do whatever the fuck it is that I do. And, and like, but what, you know, I think for a child, that's a much more helpful lens to look at work through, mm. um, and you know, and money is this separate thing that that um, you know that has to be understood in a different way. You know, and her understanding of money at the moment is kind of like, you know, it's how many dollar bucks you know does pasta cost or whatever. Like, mm. um, you know, she gets her more financial advice from Bluey than me, I think, and <laughs> but that feels appropriate at four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and just trying to sort of because work isn't you know how how much time you spend at work does not dictate how much money you have. Like any of us that know anything know that. Um, and I don't want my child to grow up thinking that like um, parents need to be absent from from family life for a period of time every day in order to. Mm. Um, and I. I'm probably wrong about this in many ways, and I'm sure the psychology works against me. Um, but I just don't want Emmy to think that I need to <clears throat> disappear for a period of time in order to make sure that there there is things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, re- it really does. And, but I'm keen. Do you do you feel like all, all what you've just suggested about the you, you know the narrative out there around you know people going into the FTSE 100 companies? Mm. Do the do you feel that narrative's changing, or do you do you think we're still well in that archaic way of thinking that um, from society as a whole? Well, I think one of the trends is is that people have more careers in their lives in general. Mm. That's I think that's that's quite well evidenced now. And 
back in our sort of parents' generations and, and particularly the generations prior to that, people had a profession and they subscribed to that profession for most of their lives. I think when I was in my sort of early 20s and just getting into a career, the stat was something like most people have three or four careers in their lives. Um, <clears throat> and I think now, sort of a decade or so on from, from that point, it's closer to sort of six. And, um, and I don't know how people go about gathering that information. But yeah. it seems <laughs> that, that sounds pretty legit to me. Like, um, so I think it's the the permission that exists to change gears and re-explore. And I think probably COVID has been a massive catalyst for that as well, because yeah, sure. I think that gave a lot of people a yeah permission, but also sort of templates and frameworks for changing careers. Mm. Um, I think one of my favourite sort of like stories from my friendship group over COVID was my my friend used to work for an aviation company and he worked there for, for years um, in a sort of like relatively junior role and then maybe like a year or two before COVID really started to move up through the ranks and was going around, you know, was getting to travel around the world and train up other teams and all of that sort of thing and beginning to really establish himself as he's like, oh, you know, this is working for me then, you know, my career's t- taken off, you know, and, um, and then COVID came. And like one of the first aviation, you know, first industries was aviation for the bottom to fall out of it, right? And um, and he really struggled to kind of re-establish himself in in a, in, a, in a job. But whilst he was travelling for work, you know, for this aviation company, he got into street photography, and he would go around and he's got these like beautiful portraits that he took in like Singapore and like the sort of like back streets and stuff of these like you know old guys smoking cigarettes and stuff and like these just beautiful like. This beautiful photography work, um, and then my old business partner at the time was working for a for a uh, photography company, and um, uh, and got him a job, just kind of like helping package up cameras and stuff. And then just like you know, within a year, he's like a product specialist, and you know, and doing all sorts of interesting stuff with cameras. And then he's like got his side hustle, which is going and doing photography and going and doing fashion shoots and brand shoots and stuff. And and like I think he probably you know earns you know a lot less than he was when he was at the aviation company but like he's like so fucking happy with his work like to it and and he's got such a everything that he does is related to photography and that creative expression and and and, and activity and it's it's awesome and i just and I'd, one of the things i'd love to do is to go out and do one of my little projects on the board so to speak it's like i want to go and make a coffee table book of all of the people that kind of like had their lives kind of like destroyed but then rebuilt in a really beautiful way because of covid you know and they were able to make that pivot because and maybe you know if covid had never happened you know maybe they would still be kind of like you know sort of going down the the uh the successful company full of unsuccessful people (laughs) route yeah 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 it it, it, it massively didn't it so many so many people were forced to question Mm. where they were yeah but me included yeah Yeah, yeah. the same like I, i remember looking at Stuff and you go like, no, business is struggling. I did the right thing, but then you realise actually when so much is taken away, how little you actually need to. But like, I, I was, I remember sitting there, okay, at the time thinking, actually, if we had loads of money, if that was the goal, we'd be in a bigger house with a car and a drive mm-hmm. that we couldn't drive anyway. So the fact that we're here together, whatever this looks like, mm-hmm. we're just, I was with the people I loved, and that mm-hmm. was. Uh, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. That's what we. That's when you realise that's actually all we need: that connection and love. And 
the rest is a bonus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't, I've, um, I think post-COVID, like, I've fallen in love with my house again, if that makes sense. <laughs> and, um, you know, I got to spend a lot of time there and then sort of went through this period of exodus and escapism in order to get the fuck out of there um and now i've fallen in love with it again um and 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 i love spending time at home i don't like working at home mm. but i love being at home yeah. and um i think that's been a bit of a revelation just over the last year or so as well yeah. like you know and it's changed my relationship with um you know that idea of constantly going right i've got friends that are like you know, that bought their houses two or three years after I bought my house, but they're already onto their third already, you know, like, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't keep, I don't want to keep up with that. And then I just sort of think about these crazy mortgages people have and like this constant kind of like pressure, you know, um, to, 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 to upscale, you know, mm. and, um, and every time I've thought about leaving my house, you know, not, not leaving the house like I did this morning, but leaving my house and never coming back because I'm going to another one. I just think, yeah, but where would I, where would I go? Like, where would I, what, what would I need that I that is so significantly better than this? You know, I live on the beach. You know, I've got like a great shared garden. I've got lovely neighbours. Like, um, I kind of just like, and it's 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 a, it's a very old house as well, stooped in history. You know, and you just sort of think like all of these ingredients, and I'm like, I'd have to like find something really, really, really cool, you know, yeah. to convince me to go. Um, but is that is that then looking at that and just being back like, to being present, being grateful yes, for where you are? That's right exactly now. it. That's exactly it. And you know the, the the you know the old adage is kind of like you know it's that 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 sort of the past creates the sort of the uh, you know the fear, doesn't it? And then the and then the future creates anxiety or whatever. And it's like and and the present can be something else completely and you get to you get to decide and you get to build that um and that was that was a couple of years ago that was one of my you know my new year's goals if you like was to was to just be more present and really sort of lean into that and learn how to do that um how are you getting on with it yeah i think i do all right mm-hmm. and i do all right and whenever i do experience like low points um you know you can always trace it back to some kind of for me it's the future like i i the past is is uh, got a quite happy happy relationship with the past. Mm-hmm. The future is fucking terrifies me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, and I I um, yeah. And whenever I'm whenever I'm in a low point, um, it's 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 usually stemmed in what where, what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and usually whatever I think is going to happen, the opposite happens. So I'm, I'm not very good at cooling it, you know. So <laughs> I just need to make peace with that. It's hard though. Again, it's back to the it's back to those external noises that are put into from from society, right? Yeah. Uh, about that, what that we should be at certain points mm. in our life, we should have certain things uh, in our life. But if you do take them away and just go, like you say, just be really, really grateful for mm. where you. Are. I remember, I remember being in a point where, God, you know. I had a place in Essex and I wanted to get a place here. Just wanted, like my wife said, I just wanted to be, just can't, I don't want to rent anymore, just want to own mm. our own house. You know? Then you own your own house and you go, oh, we've done that now. Yeah. I just want to do this to the house now. Yeah. It's ours, so we need to do this. Was all, let's just, you know what? And then getting back to COVID, you go, you know, I live on near the beach yeah. in an amazing place in the, in the world. 
we're healthy and you know let's just try and be but th- there is that the other side of it that I guess I'll be keen to ask about the creativity side and always thinking about new things and always that you that we're always still striving for something else. Yeah, well, I think I know where you're going, and I think the the question that I come back to and I still haven't quite found the answer to yet is how can you be ambitious without having ambitions? Yeah. And for me, ambitiousness is a behaviour; it's not a you know, it's not a set of goals, yeah. whereas ambitions are a set of goals. You know, I want to build this business. I want to develop that brand. I want to make this amount of money. I want to buy this house, you know. Um, whereas being ambitious is a behavior. And um, and particularly with something like the brand development work that I do, you know, it's all about vision and values. And that's where you start and and trying to get to the to the um, the most successful behaviors of a business or a group of people or a team. And and that's much better than going okay like creating aspirational values or visions or whatever like this is what we want to become or this is what we want to create or this is what we want to embody and it's like no like look at what you've already done look at like the like the great things that you have achieved and those could be really macro as in like oh yeah we made five million dollars or whatever or we created this event or you know or it can be really micro in the sense of like oh well you know last week we helped so and so to a you know to do this you know or we fix that problem for or you know we we got recognized for our ability to like you know be be caring and empathetic in our work or something and and like if you look at all of these sort of successes and it's like okay so what are the consistent behaviors that allow those successes to happen Mm. and if you can start to unpick that and start to articulate it all of a sudden very honest and authentic values for people and teams can appear and they're real because they're not kind of like aspirational, like if we behave like this or if we do this, then we'll achieve X. Like it's like when we are, are when we do, this is us at our best. Like, so let's be, let's be at our best as much as we can. Let's be as consistent as we can with our very best behaviors. And when new people join, like we, we show them what those behaviors are and we want them to show us what that they have the capacity for that behavior, you know, as we meet them and as we bring them in and so on. And um, appreciate this is what we're here to talk about. But, no, I lo- I love <laughs> but for me, it all comes down to behavior, like behavior and questions like are the, are the, are the driving force of the things that get us wherever, wherever we're going. Like if we want to go to good places, questions and behavior, those are the two things to master, I think. But you, and you relate that, like you, you just alluded to with business, I always talk about culture being the bloodline of a, a business. You, if you create a culture like, yeah. as you are describing, on those behaviours, yeah. not on like how we're going to get to, we're going to achieve, yeah. etc. But based on those values and that, those core beliefs and behaviours at that yeah. time, that's a, that's a foundation for a strong culture. Yeah, right? totally. So Peter Drucker says, uh, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast," right. and and I always love that. But then what I've been trying to work out over the last, like, I know, five years or so is kind of like, but how do you turn culture in? Like, how do you combine the two? Like, where's the meeting point between culture and strategy so that, you know, like, how can you um, um, how can you capture like the most like important, impactful, authentic beliefs and behaviors of an individual or a group of individuals and then turn that into something that is understandable like documentable repeatable which is effectively a strategy right and 
um, actually ran a um, session for some students at the music college that I lecture at last week, and and uh, it was all around music marketing. And I don't, I don't I literally like these days. I'm so far away from any form of like social media or anything like that. I hate the stuff. But they all go in and they're like, right, we want to get a hundred thousand followers on Spotify, and we want to get you know this many. You know, we want to create viral content for TikTok, and I'm like. Sorry to tell you guys, but I can't help you with that. Like, that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. We need to think about different goals this week, you know, and 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 then really driving it kind of like, what do you care about? Like, what causes do you want to, you know, center your work around? Like, what do you want to draw attention to? Like, draw people's attention to in your work? And you can do that as a musician through your music, and you can do it through your brand as, as a as an individual, as a or as an artist. Um, but it's kind of like once you know that. It's that cause creation. You know, in our in our world of business, we have problems and solutions. And in the in the art world, I, I see it as like cause and creation. Like, what do you want to draw people's attention to as a cause? And then how do you do that with, with art and music and craft and so on? Um, and it's the same thing. It's the same dynamic as problem solution. You just flip the language in order for it to be to be more accessible to people in different spaces. Um, and and all of a sudden, marketing becomes so much easier for people because then it's like oh i'm not marketing in order to get a hundred thousand followers you know or listeners on spotify and so many followers on tiktok or something i'm doing it because i now know what i care about i know what i want other people to care about in order to sort of mobilize change around that issue and now i know what i'm going to make in order to drive that change both in myself and in others and i think that's the like when we talk about kind of like experiencing creative freedom in our work versus creating value or something like that's the big difference is understanding you know what what's what's the heart of it you know and and it's the you know the beliefs and behaviors that effectively then become the uh the 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 how-to list you know the the internal how-to list to make that happen do you know what i mean yeah i really i really do and it's so it really like the journey I've been on, I guess the last couple of years, especially doing doing this, um, so much along that narrative mm. of trying to find out like who I really am and what I'm trying to yeah. trying to achieve and who I'm trying to trying to bring my authentic self yeah. regularly on a daily basis and how I, how I go about doing that and I try and this has given me a bit of a platform to try and achieve that. Mm. I, and then trying to find out what that message is you want to get out there and what you want to share and but everything that aligns with you. The other stuff, the followers, finances, yeah. all of those things. Are well, if I were to d- ask you to describe, like, you know, what defines the success of this podcast yeah. for you personally, yeah. what would it be? It's a really, really good question. And I think... For me, in all honesty, for me, I think the connection yeah. I, 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 I get with people mm. sitting in this room is far beyond anything else I've ever done in my life. Yeah. But if you were to measure that connection by like the depth and the quality of the connections that you've had mm. versus how many connections you've been able to make, yeah. what, what's more salient? What would you be most pr- more proud of? The, the, the depth. Yeah the depth of those yeah, connections of definitely because that that's something and whether I've, I'd have had five conversations or 500 it, 
I, I can't. I, I guess I can't look at anything else I've done in my life where I've been able to because people were able to sit opposite me and share mm. some, their thoughts, their story, their journey mm. on a where where, they, where there's just us in a room mm. and, where, and everything else is sort of taken away and they're able to open up maybe hopefully create an environment for people to be able to do that and I guess because of being so curious about people's journeys I find that so fascinating and that's hopefully where that connection comes from mm. which is you're right and actually I never looked at it like that but actually how much value there is for me personally yeah. and then when you're sort of thinking about what comes next like one of my favourite questions to ask people and, and to myself is kind of like what do you want to experience more of in your work you know, it's such a nicer question than kind of like, what are you going to do next? Or like, you know, you know, and I really feel like our experience of our work is much more important than the accolades that, that we collect along the way. You know, and if you're anything like me, you know, you achieve something and then, you know, within an hour of you achieving it, it's like it's behind you. Do you know what I mean? Like you're done with it. And um Whereas actually the thing that's memorable and the thing that like you don't forget about it is you know what was you know that those pinnacle peak experiences that you had and those come through kind of like you know getting really deep and in with a with, a, with either a piece of work or a, or a project or a person you know um, and having an experience of work yeah. and that's much you know that's so much more you know again it's that path of least regret regret okay. thing of like what you know would you rather have five life-changing podcasts or would you rather have 500 kind of podcasts yeah it's pretty absolutely yeah yeah no but yeah okay i'm just going to say something about one of our sponsors rivervale the world of cars vans and minibuses is often a pain point for many of us the hassle of finding the right vehicle let alone looking after it are all more things to add to our lists as busy people Rivervale's mission is to make motoring manageable, and that's why they provide leasing, purchasing, servicing, and vehicle management. So whether you have one family car or a fleet of vans for your business, Rivervale are your trusted vehicle supplier. Visit www.rivervale.co.uk. Okay, let's jump back to the podcast. One thing I want to you mentioned there about, about creative freedom, and you talk about that a lot in the book. Mm. Um, I'm because I do just want to just track back a little bit and go back to like the, the, the education piece and you, you you being at school and I'd be keen to look at what are we how much we're stifling creativity within within that system within our system now like what you're teaching your kids as you alluded to earlier mm. which for me is an amazing way of of teaching. Well, the irony is, I teach adults, so I teach, um, you know, I teach at MA level, like music college, and quite often oh, with my daughter, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about even like oh, right, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, talking about it, and then leading up, how you teach obviously with adults as well, but even I'm talking about yeah, as you sort of spoke about earlier about talking about teaching your your kids, uh, your your daughter about uh, the way of looking at things, and, and obviously potentially how you was with your mm. like the question your mum asked you yeah. recently do you know what I mean when you like you said that's potentially not what most parents would have asked yeah at that, at that stage so you've been brought up in that sort of environment which I, it looks like you're going to pass on to your kids as well to, to your daughter yeah. as well so what 
as a society and as the way the education system set up. It's quite, my mum's just completed. She graduated last week. She's just, you know, she's 70 this year. Well, she's just turned 70 this year and she's just got a degree in fine art. Mm. And, and she always jokes when she's like with me and Emmy, like, because Emmy loves art. Like, that's her favourite thing is, is drawing and colouring and all these sorts of things. And, and my mum always jokes that, like, you know, we spent so much time teaching kids to colour in between the lines and then all of a sudden I'm 70 and I'm got a fine art degree and being taught that, no, you have to colour outside the lines. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's like, so what do, what, why do we have to learn the, learn the thing in order to, to, um, to, uh, to then unlearn it? You know, yeah. why can't we just come from a place of unlearning to start with? But have you ever come across a musician called Jacob Collier? Amazing young musician, like mid twenties, something like that. Um, multi instrument, multi instrumentalist, and just sort of just oozes like musicality. Mm. Um, and he's got this wonderful quote. He's get he gets asked. He's his, his his music is so complex and just has so many things going on in it. Mm. And he gets asked in this sort of a university lecture type thing. Um, some guys, some guy puts his hand up and goes, "Jacob, has anyone told you that less is more?" And he just kind of laughs off the question. He goes, oh, you sound just like my GCSE music teacher. <laughs> and she always used to say, Jacob, don't you know that less is more? And then and he said, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll never forget what I said to her. I turned around to her and said, yes, but in order to experience, in order to know what less is, you need to experience more first. And I love that. Like, yeah, I really love that. Brilliant. And for me, it, like, it just captured my approach to kind of like just making stuff in general because, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's embracing chaos a little bit or just appreciating chaos. Um, but <sighs> education, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a feeling and a theory with this, which is that, um, that what education fails to do is to teach people and children as whole people um you know maths looks at children as mathematicians science looks at children as scientists you know art looks at children as artists you know and i look back on my education and i look at back at the things that i was good at and and i i think about my tendency now to just not care or put my attention to things that i don't enjoy or i'm not very good at sort of one of my little policies but I definitely had that naturally as a child as well. So I was sort of like just coasting through most things and then peaking in a few things. Um, and if I think if even just one of my teachers at school had paid attention to me as a whole person, they would have gone, oh, okay, you're good at writing and design and acting, you know, which is basically where I get public speaking from, right? And it's like, you would be great in advertising or you would be great in marketing or something like this is a so why the fuck did I have to spend 10 years working in IT to figure out that that was a terrible terrible place for me to be like why did no one ever why did no one ever step back enough from from my education like clearly the attention is there because they were able to nurture me through all of these subjects and teach me all of this stuff but not one of them was able to step back and look at me as a whole person and now when I you know I just spent two years um you know, I had a department role at a music college, you know, and I've stepped back from that now and I'm just a, just a sort of visiting lecturer, if you like. But, like, but like for me, that underpins everything. And I'll have, a, you know, I'll have students come to me and be like, oh, I know this isn't, like, your thing, Tobes, but do you mind if I just talk to you about, like, my, my album art? Or do you mind if I just talk to you about, like, something that's going on with my family at the moment? Or do you mind if I just talk to you about something that, like, I'm not too sure about with 
my my like my career outside of music at the moment i'm like of course like i can't be an expert all of these things but like my promise to you is that i will always like coach mentor tutor you as a whole person so nothing's off the table and and i'm just like and you i can just see like and it's not i'm not saying that i'm very good at that i'm just saying that i think it's like an important philosophy to take into education as an educator and i wish i wish that that's what somebody had done for me as a young person had come in and looked at me as a whole person and then told me what my options and opportunities were oh, I love i mean it's such a brilliant way of looking at it you go if only like what, what, what is it then that we sit here and we can recognise this and we can talk about this and I talk about this subject a lot on here what, 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 what is it that has been with that we can't look at what is clearly an archaic system and not be able to recognise that I think we as not as individuals mm. but as societies we value we overvalue predictability um, because predictability creates stability and stability creates whatever the fuck stability creates. And But we need that like as a you know, as as an economy and we need that as a society and so on. Um but and in order to create predictability we need like templates and we need narratives and we need frameworks and we we need to work within the known knowns and um, we're very much afraid of the known unknowns and we're terrified of the unknown unknowns. I think what's happening, particularly with the sort of movement in neurodiversity at the moment, is what I'm seeing is for a very long time we've created this sort of type A behaviour that's required to succeed in work and in family and but mostly work. Yeah. <laughs> and and we prioritize people that naturally have those behaviors and then we prioritize the uh, the potential of people that have the potential to show those behaviors so we end up sort of having the type a behaviors which are you know showing up to work in this way and that way and that way and communicating in this way and that way and so on and feeling you know magnetized towards certain rewards and so on I think what we're realizing as a part of this sort of neurodiversity movement is that far, far, far fewer of us are type A people. But we've designed a education system and a workplace system and, you know, and even an economic system around type A behavior. And where we probably, as a society, might have seen 70% of the population as type A people, it's probably now closer to 30%, you know, which is not the majority at all. And now we're learning that other people want to communicate in different ways and want to be communicated with in different ways and want to be incentivized in different ways and want to design balance in their life around different ways. And and the world is adapting. Like you can see adaptation happening and particularly in sort of in both very sort of um, in high performing organizations where they realize that that. Um, who works for the organization is very important and and no it doesn't make much sense on a spreadsheet to give people generous parental leave or it doesn't make sense on a spreadsheet to allow people to work from home 80% of the time or or whatever these these different 
changes and, and improvements and developments that are happening are. But when you look at it at a human level, of course it makes sense because why on earth would I want to pay Sam £100,000 a year to come to my company only to leave because he's having a kid or leave because he can't, you know, because you can't communicate over email in the way that, I, you know, that, that somebody else in the organisation might or, or any of these parameters that, you know, big or small, that, that shape your experience of work and, and essentially your desire to be there. Mm. And I, I, I believe that that's the shift that's happening and I think it's a positive thing. Mm. But, you know, it's not without its naysayers and, and, I, and I think that work is picking, probably changing quicker than education is. Mm. Education is a much harder ship to, to change and turn around. And we can create new options for people, like like the music college I work at. Like that's a private organisation, right? And it, and it's just seen a gap. It goes, oh, okay, when 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 people leave college, their options are this, but their but their behaviours and desires and ambitions are telling them to do this. So let's design an education system around that that enables that and. You know, and often we do need these sort of like risks to be taken by you know private companies or whatever. But hopefully, it filters down eventually. Um, but I thought education needs to understand that it's preparing people for something that is so so different to what it used to be. And I'm sure this is the trend throughout history. Mm. But but time changes faster as time moves on. Mm. So what used to take you know sort of two decades to come into effect now takes a decade maybe it takes five years maybe it takes you know maybe it takes a fucking month you know so we need to learn to change those systems faster maybe i know where i'm going with this now no i I, i'm i'm completely with you and i think you're right actually i think i think business and and the world of different businesses have cottoned on to that a bit quicker than Mm. the education system and it and it and it does need because ultimately if we don't if it doesn't feel down and we don't change it, we're just preparing this next generation. Like I'm worried about my kids. I can mm. like, that next generation. What are we preparing them for going into a world that we're preparing them for a world that was 30, 40, yeah. 50 years ago? Pre, Pre-AI world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> why, why are we not, you know, just we've got a curriculum that is archaic and we just need to... Look, it, that that is one element of it needs to change. The other, the, the other element. I don't think how. it's the curriculum that's archaic. I think it's the convergence of the curriculum that's mm. archaic, and it's that siloing of subject matters. Mm. And if you think about like the best careers in the world and the best sort of like individuals that you've worked mm. with, they're not kind of like you know they're not they don't you know you, you know what it's like when you meet someone that's just like obsessed with one thing and they've got that sort of narrow mindset they end up not being able to function in society particularly well because they've got such a narrow focus and and they might go on to like enable something exciting or significant but maybe they won't you know maybe they'll just be a fucking nerd and <laughs> and, and and not know how to exist you know and really the magic trick to 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 
you know, being happy and successful in, in life, perhaps, is understanding what the sort of three or four things are that you're interested in, and then working out how you stick them together to create something new. And that's what education should do. Like, it's kind of, it's like, you know, don't prepare someone to be a mathematician, prepare someone to know how to leverage maths in order to achieve something exciting, build something exciting, enable something exciting. And, and I think, as long as we keep having this very sort of like, right, now it's period three and it's maths, now it's period four and it's science, and no one's taking that kind of like helicopter view and going, this is how you use these three or four skills together to create something new. And until, and that's like, that could be one person's job in one school. Like, just looking at how the interconnectedness between topics and disciplines and, and capabilities works. And no one does it. No one does it. And it's look, it's one it's one of them like you said you hope conversations like this people just to start to look at stuff differently if we can as a society as mm. a society if we can start to look at which we are like you said with neurodiversity with gender it, it, lots of things are there's a shift mm. in so many things and I think if, oh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that that the, the shift in education will get to a point where things like that do happen, where people do look at it from mm. a different view, and that everyone. I love the, the thing I love the most that you said about it is actually just looking at every single child as a whole person, mm. not just yeah. Oh, potentially that's a skill set you're good at that. Well, I, I, I think I think one of the big realizations for me, as I've already said, is like I wish someone had done that for me, yeah, and sure. because I know that. Like now I know that it's important to, to offer it to others and to make sure that I'm doing that. And that's whether I'm working in an education setting, whether I'm working in a corporate setting, whether I'm working in like the TED thing and like and working with, you know, if I'm looking at a working with like preparing someone to get like a you know TEDx talk or something, it's kind of like, OK, well, let's look at your whole life. Like and where are the experiences and the stories that we can bring in? And it's not necessarily all about this like you know, hammer on the nail career that you've had. You know, it's about looking at the ho- you as a whole person and how do you present this change that you want to create because that's what makes it believable. And, and I just, yeah, I th- I, I'm, I'm almost convincing myself more and more as I talk about it right now to you, like yeah, how important this is. It really is, it really is. Talk to me then about, like, because it seems like just talking to you as I am now and where the place you're potentially in right now, you've got to maybe over the last two three years or, or in in your mindset talk to me about that like leaving school you talked about working in IT or mm. technology for a few years different hats that you have yeah. more, I guess over over the over the years talk to me about some of them and what this looks like and well, just where, say, how you've I got suppose, to this place now. yeah all right for the for the for the gift of context so when I when I first started so what's the last 10 years look like um um, yeah, I started working in this college and then um, became a part of the IT team in the college. And then that, there, was a, there was a big company that kind of like um, that owned all of these colleges. So I went and started working for the big company and overseeing how technology worked and how IT worked. And what I became really interested in at the time, and um, there was this, some really, really cool organizations in Brighton around the time, one called City Camp, which was like a sort of conference event type thing around social change. And there was a consultancy in the town called Nixon McInnes, which was run by Tom Nixon, Will McInnes, if you know those guys. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Um, and then they were really big champions of like democratic open work. And I became obsessed with 
with what they were doing and that movement through them um and and you know and, and for some reason you know in my early 20s i was gifted a management role of a of a team and i was like right what can i what can i mess up here like you know and and uh and it was so i started playing around and like you know you can't be that innovative with the sort of level of technology that we were talking about we were working with but you could be innovative with the people right and you could change how we manage and led the people and you know 10 years ago uh, IT was even more stuffier than it is now now it's kind of cool and sexy to work in technology right but back then it was kind of like you know it was you know it was it was the IT crowd you know yeah. and <laughs> yeah. um so so I was Jen coming in you know <laughs> <laughs> pretending that I knew how the mouse worked, you know, <laughs> wasn't that bad. Um, but, but um, yeah, and and actually, what was really we started to create these new ways of working, particularly with technology with technology uh, professionals, and and that got the attention of the industry. And I was able to then start writing and going to conferences and talking and stuff. And then that's how I transitioned out of IT and into and into events and marketing. Mm. Was that there was this message, there was this idea, and we needed to and and there was a you know, there was a community of people that were like, this is cool, let's go and tell more people about it. So I got to become a part of that. And then, um, yeah, and then I just went through this this big, this was my sort of, my first big career change, I suppose, was going from IT to conferences and events. Um, and And that's where I sort of started to be able to exercise things like my writing skills and my you know, and my um, event organizing skills, if that's a thing, and and just creating compelling ideas and messages and getting them out there. Um, and that taught me the value of marketing and content creation. Um, and I had a couple of roles at different organizations there, including that, you know, the the, uh, the very successful company full of unsuccessful people. And, <laughs> and then that's when I sort of like learned around the time that I was sort of starting to really hone those skills of communication particularly writing that was around the time that my dad passed away and that was kind of like the, the combination of these two kind of th- things happening the sort of like peak in that particular part of my career and then this I don't know trough in terms of um, uh, uh, I don't know, personal stability or whatever I was just like screw it I've got to go out and do this on my own and that's when I started my first company which was a content marketing company for technology brands mm. um and I did that for a couple of years. And we also, with my um, co-founder at the time, we started building technology ourselves as well. And the agency did really well. The building technology bit didn't. And then it all fell apart and we lost the whole business. And, you know, um, uh, maybe a story for another day. I don't know. But, like, you know, this sort of, like, sense of loss and failure that comes with losing your business. Um, what, what did you feel at that time? Like, what was it that was that? I was just very angry. I blamed myself. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and at the, I think it was just you know naivety cost us the business really, but um, but also, you know we, we 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 thought we were doing something smart and we took on investors and and so on and we just didn't know that world you know and and um, and also I think we had we had um, not ideas beyond our station because I don't believe in that as necessary as a premise, but like I don't think we understood what it took to do what we were trying to do. Um, And perhaps we wanted it for the wrong reasons as well. What, what reasons? What, if you go back there, what was it? What if was I were to, if I were to be like highly critical of myself as of myself in my early twenties, like I wanted to be like Mark Zuckerberg. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted, you know, and I wanted to be 
the cool tech guy in the t-shirt and the blazer kind of like running around you know fucking getting attention (laughs) and um and and i thought i was passionate about my product um and i suppose what, what what really what really when i scratch or not even scratch but like fucking dig under the surface of why I was doing what I was doing mm. it's because I'd been working in a marketing role for three or four years and it was the and I was sold this wonderfully creative world of work that turned out to just be spreadsheets and reports you know and and predictable was the was predictable results was the metric of success you know um, and I wanted to be and do creative things, and I wanted other people to be able to experience creative things. And it frustrated me that um, that the desire for for uncreative things was getting in the way of creative people enjoying themselves at work. And and it just I, I just I just couldn't believe that. 75% of the marketers that I worked with spent most of their time looking at spreadsheets. You know, it blew my mind, and stifling that creativity that you yeah, and attracting be- also un- attracting uncreative people to an industry that desperately needs creative mm. uh, creativity in order to succeed. Mm. Um, and and I suppose that's what I'm now getting in back in touch with, sort of now and in the last couple of years. It's like okay, well, how do I redesign my work now? Not around sort of being flipping. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, and building, you know, sort of tech tech empires, but just genuinely finding lots of different. This is where the different hats thing comes in. It's just like how many different opportunities are there to help people experience creativity in their work, and including and especially me. Mm. Um, and then when you look at that as a whole, like, and you go, okay, well, it's not just about people at work anymore. It's about you know, this is the journey. This is where the parenting bubble starts to come in. It's just like okay, well now it's about kids as well and and young people. And you know, I work with a couple of charities that specialise in in working with with young people and youth. And and that's the impact that I want to have there as well. I want to make sure that like people have the opportunities to to feel for them to feel like they can value their own creativity and ideas for other people to value their creativity and ideas and then to create the pathways for them to pursue those as opportunities so that they don't have to spend 10 years working in IT in order to figure out that they actually just want to be an artist you know and it's again uh, again that mess that overriding message is about back to trying to create this narrative in society that especially within that creative freedom element about following those dreams it's back mm. to that thing isn't it back to being kids and following those dreams and mm. that, having the ability and I think that's by listening to you talk it's about getting to a point in our lives where we understand that and be able to go it's okay to just do that and okay that's not really works that's fine I'm gonna yeah. do this now and that's okay that's that's really good I really love doing it because actually um, do, do we do we fear that part of a society getting back to that narrative of trying to there's a fear factor of trying to go down this route because yeah. actually I'm not sure what that's what that looks like well I still have a deep seated fear of failure and that goes against kind of like the narratives and philosophies that I sort of like <laughs> shout at myself in yeah. the mirror <laughs> but but I still have a great fear of failure and I don't try things because I'm scared that they won't work out 
mean, you're, you're, the lots of things that you do do and, that, and the stuff you talk about and the book especially as well about that, that creative freedom allowing you to do them things that, that you love you do still you are still following that path to a degree, aren't Yeah, and I'm probably, you know, even though saying what I've just said, like I'm probably still an outlier in terms of like the number of things that I mm. try compared to most. But, um, I, yeah, I'm not afraid of starting things. I think that's one thing. Like I'll always start, but then as soon as it comes to that kind of like, okay, now you have to try and make this work. You know, now you have to sort of like commit to like putting this in front of people and, and growing it. Like I think that's where I get stuck. Um and that's partly a skills-based thing, but also, you know, but if I was brave enough, I would just learn the skill or hire the skill, yeah. you know? What is that fear of, where, where, does, where do you think that comes from, that fear of failure? Is it the fact that, like, look, look at, a, I guess, the, the business that you set out to mm. you know, be a big tech giant that didn't potentially work out? Is, is that stem from that or before then or... Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've got a... Um, yeah, I think um, just to turn you into my therapist for <laughs> for 90 seconds, like a lot of my my fear comes from like that, that sense of loss, you know, and that comes from, um, you know, it comes from losing a parent, it comes from losing friends, and it comes from um, losing businesses, you know, and like there's nothing like, um, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Death and the collapse of a, of a of a brand, you know, to 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 create a real very, you know, what this is what loss feels like. Times, you know, fucking hurts. Um, so then, not doing things that could potentially lead to it not working protects me from loss. Um, and I guess that's maybe that's the battle right now is to be like, oh, okay, no, you, it's okay, like. Um, but then you know the other the other side of the coin is like I'm a big fan of kind of like knowing what starting something feels like, and you've got to see some material version of it in order to know whether you want to run at it or not. Um, and uh, what's a good example? So earlier this year, I started like an AI magazine. <laughs> And it was like everything in the magazine was written and illustrated by, by AI, but not through the purposes of trying to trick people into thinking that this is real. People are like, no, these are these are robots trying to form a relationship with you, yeah. you know. And <laughs> and and like one of the first things was to create this kind of like AI editorial identity, you know, that sort of like said, I am a robot, and these are my feelings, and these are my intentions, and these are this is what I strive to to do in terms of connecting with humans, and then this is the content and the media that I want to create in order to do it, and. Then creating these magazines and I did a couple of issues of the magazines and and ended up like getting going to speak at a couple of AI events because of it and all of that sort of thing and for 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 a moment in time I was this sort of like AI expert you know and then gone because I didn't want to be that anymore and I was like cool yeah I experienced I experienced being an AI expert for three months and like um and uh and I was like yeah but but then I'm I'm very happy with what happened there. Like I got to experience doing that work, and and what do I want to experience more of in my in my work at that time? I want to see what I can play do with robots, and I want to see what that can do to achieve bridging the gap between humanity and AI. Um, do I want that to be my job? No. Do I want to be able to feel like I've experienced that? 
Yes. So how do I then judge that? Do I judge that as a failure because I didn't get past issue three? Or do I see it as a success because I got to experience what I wanted? And like, could I, I could go, I could, you know, I could sit at my computer between like this podcast recording and my daughter finishing school and knock out another issue because it's so easy because robots make it easy. So it's not the act of the work that's hard. Um, and it comes down to direction of travel, I think. Like, and this is how, where it comes back to that um, ambitions versus ambitiousness is do I have the ambition to create this? No. Do I have the ambitiousness to try? Yes. Because actually, again, it's so much of that is back to our own measurement of success. Right? Yeah, that's, that is the that is the key. And that's what so much of the podcast is about is about the metric in which we measure success. Mm. And so many people you would sit opposite, maybe, and or you talk to about different business ventures and different things that you've done. And so many because society is really stuck on this financial status is where mm. success lies of a business or anything that if that's the metric in which we measure it in then oh maybe that's not been successful because it's not done x y and z yeah I, one of the things that i as a sort of tedx organizer and curator mm. putting that hat on yeah. for a moment um i I have a sort of love-hate relationship with TED and TEDx because of this, because in the same way that money does or that job titles do and so on, I think I I have this sort of like poison chalice in one hand and this sort of, you know, beautiful glass of champagne in the other, which is, you know, the, the, the sort of <laughs> the success that comes along with giving a TED, TEDx talk and... And I really what am I trying to what am I trying to share here? The people that I think that I get to work with that go and do these great talks are the people that are least interested in getting up on stage and talking about the work. So I see my job in that role is like I have to go and be a salesperson. I have to go and sell the idea of coming up on stage and talking about this thing. And I have to convince them that it's a good opportunity for them and the audience. I have to convince them that, like, they have, you know, the the skills and capabilities as a public speaker to do it. I have to convince them that the stories and experiences that they're bringing to the stage are valuable to to other people beyond just their ecosystem. Um, The people, you know, and this is always a very unpopular opinion or or a very unpopular thing for people to hear I suppose but the, the the people that I'm least interested in working with are the people that want to do it the most because because they want it for the status yeah because they're being driven by an ambition you know and um, they're not doing it for the audience or they're not doing it for the community they're doing it for them they want to serve this idea inside them which is that you know if I if I do a TED, TEDx talk then I'm I'm, I'm successful now. And... 
this is that external validation. Yeah, it's like kind of like it's getting... Well, the, my website, I've done a TEDx, or, or obviously people will then look at that. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I have friends and, and colleagues that do this, but like, you know, they give a TEDx talk and they change their job title to TEDx speaker. And it's just like, that's a bit like saying, like, you know, I went skydiving once <laughs> and now I'm a skydiver you know like. I've done skydiving once I'm not a skydiver <laughs> I probably won't do it again quite experienced we'll leave yeah. it um, so, so it's kind of um, yeah and so so I, I and again it's it, for me it's just the ultimate analogy of kind of like uh, healthy success versus unhealthy success in terms of measure of metrics and so on and and it just shows up in my work quite quite plainly in that sense i guess um and you know i love working with people that have that understand that a change is needed in order to in order to create some great benefit or impact you know and that there is a risk and that risk is very normal. Like the, the, this risk in front of us is is the norm. Like we're heading towards this place. Um, and if we can change how we behave and what we believe, we can move away from that risk and towards some form of prosperity or, or benefit. And and those are the people that I love getting my hands on and going, right, we're going to write a really fucking great talk that's going to change how people think about this thing. You know, and and let's write the let's write the defining talk on this topic or on this question or on this idea. Um, you know, and that gets me that gives me the opportunity to exercise my skills as well and my awareness of that space and so on, um, and use them as kind of like clay. You know, like there's this there's this beautifully crafted clay. You know, in this wonderful color. You know, and we get to create something magical and unique with it, and it's a collaborative exercise. And the least, you know, and again, and then then the people I don't want to work with, the people that already know. Yeah, I know. I know what the idea is. I know what this is. You know, I know what people need to hear. You know, Um, and it's like, well, I I can't. This isn't going to be a collaboration. This is just, I'm just a conduit, you know. Um, Yeah. Just giving you a platform to go and do what you think people want to hear. Yeah, and it might be fun and exciting in the moment, but I promise you it'll be totally forgettable. This is Geo. Geo runs a scarf company. Geo doesn't see the need for telecoms. Everybody uses mobiles now. But can a mobile really be a business phone? Geo is having coffee with a client, Gabby. Well, actually, Geo prefers acacia leaf tea. But what happens when someone calls? It could be a big new deal. Surely it would be rude to take the call? But many people hate leaving messages. They may just call a competitor instead. What can Geo do? The answer is simple. Turn the mobile into a business phone. With the GoGiraffe app, Geo can quickly transfer the call. Or, before the meeting, Geo can simply use the app to divert calls. No more missed calls, lost deals or unhappy customers. Turn your mobile into a business phone today. GoGiraffe. Let's touch on it. Because there's so many listeners, I'm sure, that... And this is why it's so good to talk to you about it in this form is that because it asked probably so many people out there listening go oh, I'd love to do a TED talk mm. for 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 <laughs> what reasons mm. and and I guess some of the things you've alluded to there about the best advice you can give someone that wants to do a TED talk would that be it to it's not about don't don't look at the yeah and like you know it's very it's very easy for for me to just 
chuck everybody into one of two buckets you know and obviously life is much more nuanced than that and it's and you know if that's a goal that you have understand do some do some work or or just take take some time to take stock of kind of what's who are you doing that for and what are you trying to create for those people mm. and then what would 25 other ways <laughs> of achieving that thing be um and i always think like, like particularly if you want to be a speaker like that's what you want your job to be like doing 10 paid keynote talks is going to be far more fruitful for your career than doing one unpaid TEDx talk you know I promise you I promise you so try that first <laughs> and see and see if you get a feel for it and if you suddenly realise that speaking on stage at the dentistry expo or something like that ain't ain't the way that your message is going to get heard and isn't going to transform people's lives then maybe 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 trying to use the TEDx format might be the best way of doing it like but at the same time it's like you know just I mean we live in we you know in the age of the content creator and one of the most beautiful things about the age of the content creator is you have so much control over your message where it goes who sees it the impact that it has when it gets there and so on and if you effectively license out your ideas and your message to other brands and organisations because that's what you're doing like if you come and do a talk at TEDx Brand, I don't even own that. Yeah. You know, that goes up to Big Ted and they can do whatever they want with it, including not publish it. <laughs> and and, and it, whereas what would what would your what would your message be like if 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 you just owned it and owned the platform? And like if that's really what you're trying to do, if you're trying to drive a change, like take every opportunity that you can to own your message. Um and if one of those ways of drawing attention to that is speaking at TED or whatever, go for it. Um, but don't, you know, just please take it off your bucket list, you know, please take it off your kind of like, I'll be successful when list, you know, because it's not going to, it's not going to create that for you. No matter how many people are selling you yeah. Facebook adverts that tell you that it will, you know. <laughs> I, love that. I, 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 can, I, love, I just love that message that, that and he said, because I, I I still remember because I I'll be I'll be brutally honest I I think when I started following you and I first saw TEDx I got into TEDx and I first saw it come up and I remember watching something oh God I want that be really cool and then I remember I remember you you put a post out about it and we spoke about it previously where you said actually don't apply necessarily to do a TEDx talk wait to be asked mm. to do a TEDx talk because if you if your message is the right message and like you said, you'll find the people that actually have not got the ambition to have on my website. I'm a TEDx talker, mm. but actually, um, I've got something really yeah. impactful to say, and it's going to change our people. Um, and, and you know, well. people may disagree with this, but like you know, from just putting an event organizer's hat on, it's just another event. Yeah. It's just another event. Yeah. Like, and tomorrow in the same venue, there'll be another one. Yeah. You know, and like it's it's. You know, there's nothing special. We get like you know we have you know it's we have a pretty high turnover volunteer program or like a high capacity volunteer program. 
people come and go from the volunteer program because they think they're getting to they'll get to work on sexy ted <laughs> but then they suddenly realize that when they're just fetching like sort of sandwiches <laughs> at lunchtime or they're sort of like putting together an email campaign or something it's like it's just another event man you know what yeah. i mean not to water down my own brand but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's still amazing to buy loads yeah. of tickets <laughs> <laughs> but it's a life-changing opportunity for every member of the audience and tickets are on sale now fifth of the fifth of april the brighton dome tedx brighton <laughs> boom <are> we <laughs> and i will put a thing in the show notes then maybe yeah. no. um just as we're coming towards the end, there was one thing from the, from the book I just wanted to touch on briefly before we go mm. on to a definition of success and what that looks like. What um, everyone will know, the Simon Sinek start with why. Mm. Really found it fascinating in your take on that in the book. Yeah, I mean the Simon Sinek thing sta- stands up like yeah, there's nothing wrong course. with it, um, and but I loved your. I'd love you to just share a little bit about that. Yeah, what. well, my argument with start with why is to start with what, mm-hmm. um, but but not, but only in the context of how you explain things. Like my 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 life's work is just about explaining things and making people believe in things, right? And I, I think one of uh, why can often uh, be one of the hardest things to do internally, but it can also be one of the most distracting things to do externally. Mm. So, for example, if you were to say to me, Toby, I'd really like to spend time with you exploring the depth of your experiences and understanding like what all these different things mean to you and going, you know, and going through your like, life story and unpacking that and figuring out like where we can go, you know, where we can where the opportunities are to pack that up into lessons for other people to follow and da 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 da, da and you sort of go for that. I'm like, I mean, Sam, that sounds great. But like, um, and they, oh, oh, on a podcast. I'm like, oh, yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, I'll come on a podcast with you. That sounds great. You know, and like, but if you start going into the kind of like the depths of why we're going to do something before you tell me what it is that we're doing, and it all comes down to creating an expectation. So I'm a big fan of, of, the very first thing that you want to try and communicate with someone at the moment that you start communicating with them is what what your what your your and theirs expectation of this conversation should be, right? So um, again, something from the book, like something that I you know someone said to me once is I, I wear my objectives on my sleeves, you know, and I, I really like that because it's just like so I'm going into a conversation if I'm trying to sell you something, it's like right, Sam, you know, can we meet up on Thursday because I want to try and see if you want to come on board as a sponsor for this event you know and i want to tell you more about it because you know and or like sam i'm having a problem with you know with my with my kids at the moment i just need another dad to sit down with and talk to you know because you know and like just tell me what we're doing tell me what we're doing create an expectation why doesn't create an expectation it creates curiosity it creates reason but it doesn't create expectation Mm. and this is just a you know at the, you know, Simon Sinek is just a marketer. Like he's just yeah. an advertiser, just a really fucking good one. You know, <laughs> um, and I can't, I can't touch that. I can't scratch that. So, like, you know, maybe my theory doesn't stack up. But, but I think one of the mistakes that we just often make, particularly when we highly subscribe to start with why, is that we think we translate that translates into what we make. You know, and I'm a big fan of helping people understand what they make and then how that thing gets people to believe in the cause or the or the or the or the, or the you know the the important belief at the heart of that. But you've got to tell people what's happening. Mm. And I think that's where we get let down, and particularly when we go, you know, I used to work on these big 
website builds and content creation pieces and conferences and events and things and used to work with all of these sort of like smart consultants and stuff and they just you know all this fluff and waffle you know and if if they just it's like a picture frame you know if you show me a picture frame like i know what's going to go inside it it's a fucking picture you know like but (laughs) so but the picture the content is the interesting bit but without a picture frame like it's just a you know it's a piece of paper on the floor you know but now it's a picture on the wall you know and and that creates my expectation um does that make sense really i don't want to over labor it because no, i don't think it's it really that complicated it, I, really. I, I really i because it I really that's one of the reasons i wanted to put that question in and i wanted to talk to you about because and wanted you to share it on, on this platform just because it really resonated with i've read start with why i loved it and i was like oh yeah yeah but just looking at it from a different perspective and it really i really understood it and i thought it was a a great way up. Again, I'm not going to plug, but let's definitely read this book. <laughs> no good book well, right. the start with why I think it's just I think it's great advice, mm-hmm. and it's great advice for um, figuring out things for yourself. But I think it quite often, and I don't think I don't know it or think this is necessarily the, the fault of Simon Sinek, but like it often gets then packaged up as advice on how to sell and market things, mm-hmm. and. And, and I'm not saying that we have to take the power away from why. We just have to change the order of where it appears um, and get really good at saying what succinctly. And you know when you're at some networking event and someone goes, so what do you do? You know, and they all stand there and they go, well, we create, you know, really wonderful experiences for people that want to go on journeys to da-da-da-da-da. And, and the way that we do that is, and then if you're ever curious about da-da-da-da, and you're like, oh, my God, mate, like, why are you? And you say, oh, I'm a travel agent. And you're like, oh, brilliant, okay. And I'm a travel agent that specialises in helping people go on, like, the most whirlwind adventures of their entire lives in Southeast Asia. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm Asia sounds cool, you know. But if you if you try and whittle on and, like, try and, sell me the experience or whatever like i'm just going to get confused because i don't know what the wrapper is yet you know it's just like you know show me like in half you know a dozen chocolate bars with no wrappers on they all look the same you know <laughs> so yeah. i love it I love, it's just like i say for me just that different perspective on it and what that looks like which is which i wanted you to share and i'm glad you did so thanks for asking we are coming towards the end all right and as always we know that the 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 podcast tagline it's all about helping the world to see success differently mm. with the different hats you've wore where you've been are now where mm. you are going please give me your definition of success it's really easy success is a feeling it's not a destination or a thing that we can kind of aim for or strive for like it's just a feeling I can, I can wake up today and feel successful. I can wake up today and feel unsuccessful. I can wake up today and feel unsuccessful and around lunchtime I'll start feeling successful again. If I, if I um, pin it to goals and obstacles and um, goals and objectives and things that I don't reach, does that mean that I can't feel successful anymore? Have I just cheated myself out of feeling successful? Um, one of the early TEDx speakers I worked with was Jordan Stevens and he finished his talk with you know shoot for the moon but don't worry if you miss <laughs> I love that um, I think he might have pinched it from somewhere um, but that was the first time I ever heard it and I love it um, and to now extend past my 60 seconds 
Um, yeah, I did this. Um, uh, success is also uh, um, a really great chair. <laughs> like my life goal is to find the perfect chair. Like and <laughs> and the chair represents uh, all sorts of things to me. Um, um, are you familiar with the Happy Startup School, Lawrence yeah, and Carlos? Yeah, I, yeah. I know of them. Only recently I found out about them. I, I need to. Oh, You've got guys. to get those guys on. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they've been going ten years now, and um, I remember being at their festival. They do this festival called Summer Camp every year, and being there five six years ago, and going through this exercise uh, where we had to imagine that we um, that we've achieved everything. This is the first day. You know, we've woken up and it's the first day of our lives where we've achieved everything. Everything on the list is done. Absolutely everything. We've built everything. We've seen everything. We've met everyone. And now you're waking up. And they just walk you through this beautiful sort of mindfulness exercise, mindfulness-led exercise where it's like, okay, and what do you do? You know, what does, what, does the, what does the morning look like? You know, what room are you in? What are you eating for breakfast? Who are you with? You know, where do you go? What conversation do you have? And then, you know, and then it sort of like, you know, and then what's the most, and then looking back on that, like what's, draw a picture, like draw a picture of the most significant, like salient thought that appeared during this, this, this walkthrough, this exercise. And I drew a chair. And the chair is representative of the conversations that you have in the chair, right? And um, I want to, you know, I, I, my feeling and sense of success, that feeling comes from having great conversations, asking, being asked great questions, being able to exercise my best behaviours and, and articulate my beliefs and so on and, 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 and creating opportunities for other people to do the same and to, you know, change your mind about things and so on. Like, that's, that stuff's great. That's why I think that's why you do this. And... Um, my business partner and I, we, we were, we've been thinking really hard recently about these things. And when you do the lots of hats and you move very quickly through work and your career and so on, like it's very easy to kind of get obsessed with just achieving something, moving on to the next thing, achieving something, moving on to the next thing, being defined by a success or a failure and so on. Like, and <laughs> what he calls the wind log, you know, which is a, a, it's a bit of a nerdy IT joke because that's what you would type into a command line to see some boring stuff about your computer. But a win log is also a nice list of things that you've you've won and you look back on things that you've achieved and so on. And we're, I'm, I'm really shit at it. You know, I got an MA last year and I don't even care. You know, like, you know, like, what? <laughs> like, like, come on. Like, I work hard for that. Um, and... Um, and yeah, and when we've been reflecting this last year or so, we've been like, well, actually, you know, and something that I've come across in those conversations is like, if I look back at my career, even just like the last 10 years of it, something like that, I've done enough. I've done enough. And a lot of people, you know, and this, I don't want this to sound like a, an exercise in grandeur or whatever, like this is genuine, like this is me trying to be really, really freaking humble and going if most people had had the career that I had over a course of four or five decades, like, they'd probably feel all right. 
Like they've, they've done all of these things, you know, and jumped to all these places and experienced all of these sort of like and whizzed around the world doing all this stuff. Like, that's enough. Like, that's a career. Done. And if that's enough for them, it's enough for me. So I'm done. I'm out. What's next? And so as I move forward into what's next, I want to make absolutely sure that it's that it's so different from what I've already done. I want to make sure that, and this is why I'm at the moment I'm picking up a lot of stuff and then putting it down because it's like, no, I've done that before. Have I done a magazine before? Yes. So do I need to do another one? No. You know, have I run an agency before? Yes. So do I need to run another one? No. You know, have I built an app before? Yes. Do I need to build another one? No. And constantly challenging myself. Now's the time to do something new and different because you've done enough. Like you felt every form of success that there is going almost. So what's left? And I just want to sit in a really fucking cool chair. And if and if and if and if my you know and if Billy Big Bollocks wants to get a new Audi, I just want a new chair. <laughs> to experience better conversations in. And the chair is representative of the quality of conversation I can have and the environment I can create to have that conversation in. I'm gonna stop there because I feel like I might just end up repeating myself. But hopefully that feels like something useful. great place to be in all honesty like from all of the conversations I have on here and all of the things that are I guess intrinsically inside me I'm, I feel like I'm on a journey I'm searching for something potentially this has answered a lot of my chances are you've already found it in, 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 and I think that's it like li- listening to you talk and that description and actually just being but being okay with can that's enough what I, what I've achieved already is enough because mm. there's there's a part of me personally this becomes therapy for me so apologies about how I go around this but I, I do I, I look at that and go I've got so much I've still got to do still got to get to here I've still got to get to there I've still got to achieve x x x x x why why, why have I got to do that and actually Back to the thing what I learned a lot from the Bruno conversation, and some I've had re- recently as well about about gratitude and being really grateful for where you are right now, and recognizing the key that you've just made, recognizing what you've achieved is enough. Mm. That's okay. And that is okay. I'm being happy with that. Yeah. That's what it's about, surely, because you get into that back. Past all you or wherever that, whether that's tomorrow or fifty years time, but that deathbed thing you go. Well, you you put being present at high risk, and I don't think that that's really worth putting at risk because it's too good. I, I'm I'm going to read a, a, a statement from the book actually as we've come to the end. Okay, this, this was because just talking about being present. Now, our, now I'm going to read this out and he says our purpose is simple is to exist and be present if we can just be present enough to be inspired by the world around us we can create great new things sounds right doesn't it for me I love that again all of these conversations I've had 
over so much time. And the key that I'm trying to do, the thing I'm working on the most in myself is to mm. try and be present as much as I possibly can. This helps me to do that because I like, love to be engaged. In my outside life and everything else I do around that to try and be present. But how you articulate that in the book and how you just describe that, for me, pure gold. Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, like you've probably already got the thing that you're looking for, mm. but maybe you just want to experience more of it. Mm. Yeah. So maybe the magic trick there is to just be present enough for a moment to take stock of all of the things that you have mm. and then work out what what needs trimming out and what needs more attention and it's not necessarily about creating something new to pay attention to but just looking at what you have and giving yourself permission time and space to pay more attention to it mate honestly what can I say thank you so much for your time it's been uh, honestly an absolute pleasure to have got to know you in a short space of time I feel like I've known you for a very long time which is amazing <laughs> always um, a nice feeling isn't it but uh, and honestly when you just connect with someone and resonate and listen the first book I've read in 15 years <laughs> cover to cover that's going to have um, to go on the front cover yeah. of the next edition <laughs> and, um, and it was brilliant I, I enjoyed that but more so enjoyed our conversations today and, Me too. and your wisdom and insights is incredible so Thank you for sharing it, mate. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a really, really, really nice time. It's been amazing. That, as they say, is a wrap.